I'm not wanting my clients to live in a museum of things that I've created. I want them to feel like it's their home. So that's why I feel like it's super important for myself and other designers to check the ego and make sure that their client is first and foremost, but to help them push the boundaries. You can see a timid client and you understand if they're like, well, I don't know, I've never done that color or I've never done that sheen before. I'm a little nervous and showing them why that might work and easing their fears and providing them comfort moving forward. And it really does yield a good result. Welcome to episode 136 of the AFT Construction Podcast. And our guest today is Holly Wright of Holly Wright Design. Now, Holly is based here locally. And for those of you that have been to our corporate office for AFT Construction, she was the lead designer that designed our office suite. And this is going on 11 years ago, and it's super current. She had great foresight on that design. And now that she's on her own, we've spoken depth about marketing, business, hiring, that challenge of bringing on employees, how her company has grown, how it's evolved, even the fear of being an entrepreneur. And then the challenges that come with it with client communication, design, setting ego aside. You know, what's that ideal client? There's a lot of great content. So without further ado, let's get started. So welcome to the AT Construction Podcast. And here in the studio, we have Holly Wright. Welcome, Holly. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to have you. So Holly is the owner and founder of Holly Wright Design, which I believe we're already talking about. It's mm-hmm. already been five years, which is hard to believe. You've been on your own five. Went by really quick. <laughs> very, very quick. And you're as busy as ever. I mean, because you have so many projects. We have a few together and you're yeah. just killing it out there. It's yeah. amazing. It's been wild. I, I didn't even think I was going to last a year. And here I am <laughs> surviving. Is that funny? <laughs> I want to get into that entrepreneurship story. But what's funny is we were talking off air as you came in. Because we have a lot of mutual connections. Mm-hmm. We've known each other for like 10 years now working in town. And what I found is in construction is such an odd industry in this sense that, you know, we're super competitive here in town. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of us, the design world, I imagine the same. And I found that, you know, I've had a good mentor and I've talked about like Rod Collins here local and he's been a great mentor to me. Super open, transparent, doesn't look at me as a competitor. And yeah. it really goes back to that mentality of abundance as opposed mm-hmm. to a mentality of scarcity, right? There's mm-hmm. just some people have that. And I've noticed, you know, I'm part of a Builder 20, part of like CBUSA, these other programs where I get to meet builders around the country. So it really has helped us really refine the process. But for you, Holly, I mean, it is, is it similar? How collaborative is the design world here just locally? You know, here compared to other markets that I've heard of, we're super collaborative, which I'm so grateful for. I have um, a team of designers that we've known each other for 15 plus years, and we lean on each other for... Um, just feedback on different trades in town, um, even giving out client referrals. Hey, I'm too busy right now. Do you guys have availability? He seems cool. This is what he's got going on. Might want to check him out. And I'm just grateful that we can share that information with each other and talk about the celebrate each other's wins and talk about the falls and things like that and everything in between. And we're pretty open book when it comes to talking about details like that, which has been great. Because I know it's hard, you know, as you mentioned, it's you, the whole goal, especially going on in your own, Holly, you're trying to figure out lead generation, right? Mm-hmm. You're trying to get leads. You're trying to figure out, okay, where's the next project? You and I have been through the recession. We know how this goes. Yes. And so constantly in the back of your mind, you're like, I always need enough. But it, but there comes a point where you do have a lot of work. You have a pipeline. You're busy. Mm-hmm. And so the leads are still coming. And you don't want to just say, you know, I'm too busy for you or I right. don't have time for your project because it doesn't fit my scope. And it's really hard. Whereas if you have a network of people to refer that out to where it's not, it's, it's, it's a little bit less of a, an impact where they're maybe like, Oh, Holly's too good for me. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I never want to portray that ever because in all honesty, I'm, 
kind of a sucker. Like I want to be there for everyone. Like I want to take the small jobs. I want to take the big ones. So for me to say no is really, really difficult. So I want to help people. If I know that I can pass them on to a colleague of mine that will give them great service, I'm more than willing to do that. And that way I still have a good name. I didn't turn them away. I wasn't too good. Sometimes our timelines just don't work or, um, aesthetically maybe it's just not the right match but i'll always refer out and i've gotten referrals from other designers too that said that the project that they were presented with it's not really their aesthetic or they don't have the capacity to handle a project of that size right now so hey you take a stab at it and that's been it's worked out really great just kind of what goes around comes around in a good way and i'd imagine even outside the leads i mean probably similar for you there, there's um it's not really a marriage, but there's a huge relationship there between you, the architect, the builder, mm -hmm. some of the trade partners, possibly. Yeah. I know the client, especially because you're with the client the whole time. Right. You know, so I would imagine there's some importance, especially, you know, the experience you've had with different contractors, or architects and say, that's a great one. Or maybe I don't want to do that one again. Yeah. I've, um, you know, I've, I, I work really well with a lot of trades in town and I keep my relationships going with everyone. It's just nice to, nice to play well in the sandbox box with everyone mm -hmm. and be able to work nicely with a client. Even if you don't see it eye to eye all the time, it's okay to know that there's a difference of opinion or a different way of working together. And I can usually work pretty well with anyone. And I don't want to discriminate working with anyone, but there's certain people I prefer to work with over, right. <laughs> over others. <laughs> and that's just because we just have a better uh, kind of communication, communication style, style yeah. and just the way we work together is just a little bit more seamless. So. So how open, you know, going back to the design side and the collaboration, you know, one thing for you going out on your own, and we could get into your story here in a second, but when you go out on your own, there's a lot of trial and error, right? Trying to understand, okay, well, how much do I charge, right? Mm -hmm. And and part of that's a little complicated because there's a value that you bring, but at the same time, there's a work experience and there's a timeline. And so you kind of have to walk before you run, right? As you start oh, yeah. understanding that. and. You know, so how has that been just collaborating to understand, well, where should I be financially? What should I be charging? What's the value I bring to the client? Am I worth what I'm charging? Right. And that is, has been trial and error. Um, I kind of had a, an idea in my mind when I went off on my own where I felt um, comfortable that I can give my clients a fair price, but also be fair to myself. And mm -hmm. knowing, knowing that I give them a lot of experience, I give them um, a lot of collaboration with me and a good working relationship. And that does bring a lot to the table. The fact that I can work well with other people in our industry and not make for a complicated project, there's value in that. So um, I had an idea in my mind <clears throat> to start off with. And as I've gotten more business, I've been able to uh, generate more income with higher pricing. And um, that kind of matches the value that I'm able to bring to the table because now I have a better a bigger team. Now we have more people that can work on your project, which makes your project go along quicker, more efficient. So that does bring value. So I'm able to justify different pricing now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll just speak to it from my experience of working with you. I mean, one thing is like you're super detailed, Holly, like your, your, your design book is second to none. Like it's the, the amount of detail in there. And I tell clients, cause uh, you know, for me on this side, occasionally I get the pushback where a client's like, well, I know what I want. Mm -hmm. I don't need a designer. Right. And I'm like, well, I already know if I have someone such as Holly as my designer in the project, I already know how seamless this can go for me. Right. Um, as opposed to not having that, the pain it's going to cost me. And so my price has increased because now I'm having to manage like right. the details. And, and there's so much that goes into it, into your job that most people don't realize. And even with that, those specification manuals, I have built on that even since when you and I first started together. There's different things I add to manuals all the time to make it more efficient. 
which is giving you more information. It's leaving less holes in the whole design process so that there's no gray area. There's nothing going back to the client four months later saying, you know, sorry, we didn't have that bid in and it's not an issue for you. It's not an issue for the client. It's not an issue for me. <laughs> so yeah. I've added more to the manual, which essentially does bring more value too. And uh, and also kind of increases my price point because I'm able to bring more value to the table and make for a more seamless project overall. Well, it's funny. I was just having this conversation actually last night with, with some former clients and we were discussing, you know, after they had gone through their experience building, right? Mm -hmm. And what I mentioned to them, I said, you know, when, you, when you're out there vetting uh, a team, right? And you're trying to understand the, the costs and price that go into this. It's really easy if you're just looking at, you know, the sticker price. Right. Okay. Well, this architect is $10 a foot and this one's $20 a foot for easy math. Mm -hmm. Well, without understanding what the difference in information you're getting, right? I said, yeah, he may be $10 more square foot, but you know, you're getting, you know, the BIM modeling and you're getting 3D renderings and solstice to understand where the shade, you know, is right. coming in at different times of the year and overhangs. And then you're walking through simulated in the house. And, and then also instead of maybe, you know, 10 sheets, you're getting a hundred sheets, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, when you talk about plan bus or overages or mistakes or mishaps, I mean, yeah, on a 5,000 square foot house, it might be 50 grand more, but you're going to like burn that up so fast. Oh, yeah. Right? And same thing for design, like the amount of detail and information. I mean, yeah, there's a cost to it, but there's so much information that really is going to save them in the long run. And I think in addition to that, I find that the architects or the trade is more invested. Usually at a higher dollar a dollar amount, you're, the architect's going to be on the job from start to finish. Some of the architects that are maybe less costly they're kind of here's your plan here's all the construction documents you submit here for you permit go. yourself and figure it and out and then they disappear yeah. you know they're they're less invested it's just a job for them as opposed to something they're passionate about um and i think that you can see different architects in our industry the higher dollar ones they're invested in the whole project they want to know exactly what's going on what i'm doing on the project what you're doing on the project and they see everything through the through the end, but I think that justifies their price point. It's because the client can trust them to carry on that vision that they started with through the end of the process. So what's interesting, and and this is a good example, is that you you mentioned this when you get some of your leads, and you know maybe the aesthetic's not right, or mm -hmm. or not in the right. It's just it's different than yeah. maybe what's going to excite you, right? Or that you feel that you can do an amazing job. And and so we had a client a project together, and in fact. You know, they'd be fine. You know, Nico and Jenny, mm -hmm. who are awesome. And Jenny has been on the podcast. Adore and, them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're amazing. And so it's funny because the first time I met with them and we had become friends on social media for quite a while. And they knew because they had listened like they knew I wasn't going to do the project unless we had an architect or designer. Yeah. And, you know, they're like, well, Brad, here's the deal. Like with if you bring in a designer, I'm really picky. I know what I want. Yep. It's a very unique style. It's not like everything you see, like without throwing any other designs on a bus, just a lot of things you see in town. Mm -hmm. It's very different. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I think I have something that's just a fit. So I introduced you and right away, she called me within five minutes of your first meeting. She's all, you found it, like total yeah. home run, like <laughs> amazing. So how, how have you been able to do that? Because as design, it's very sensitive, right? People, there, there's a lot of emotion involved. There's a lot of personality involved yeah. and you're trying to kind of navigate all this together. Right. During that first meeting with Jenny, I knew when she opened the door, she was skeptical. Yeah. You know, and she's like, oh, she did not nice want to, to meet you. I know, yeah. exactly. And, and she's in the industry in fairness. 100%. And she's, yeah, so she knows a lot. She's seen it. She does her she own speculative stuff. Yeah. Right. She understands aesthetic. She knows the terminology. She understands it. But to have, to think that somebody can like literally read her mind and know what she's anticipating, 
we just got each other right from the get-go. When she started showing me inspiration images of things that her and Nico were looking at, I've had those images parked in the back of my head for so long waiting for a client to, to pull the trigger. Yes, to do it. And it's a different style. It's not for everyone. It's this glamorous, modern, which hasn't hit as much of the market, but we're starting to see more of it now. I was like, I got excited and she saw my excitement with it. And then we just bonded and it was it was easy peasy from there on out. We I had a first meeting with her and uh, the architect and Nico and we sat down, reviewed the plans, started talking about concepts. And I think I gained their trust at that point because I was hitting so much on on the nose for them that that they I earned their respect and their trust. And I was everything I submitted to them, they said, Yep, yep, looks good. And it was so it was so easy. And that's part of the bond I like to build with my clients too, is I want them to know that I'm excited about their job. I want them to be excited about their house too and be excited about a design aesthetic that they have or images that they're pulled or even if even if they had pulled a couple different styles and they're not really quite sure where their aesthetic lies, I can help guide them that way and get them excited and that helps build the bond and build the trust for us to start the relationship and really build a really amazing project. I liked the diversity with my projects. Um, even on my website, you'll see that they're all very, very different from each other, which I prefer. That's part of my interview process when I'm with my clients is learning about their house. Is it something that you've seen that's almost cookie cutter at nowadays where it's the same thing over and over and over again? Or is it something that's new, forward thinking, inventive? Um, because when I feel inspired by that, you're going to see the best results. So those are the kind of clients that I like to bring on board and make sure that we can work together and create a really cool house. Well, something you said, Holly, about that is uh, early on in the conversations, you, you know, the education side, you, you had had these images in the back of your mind mm -hmm. already just waiting for the client to pull the trigger. And, you know, so many times when you look at social media, someone may look at Holly Wright and be like, okay, why am I not at that level? I want to be there, right? And it's it's this mentality through social media, and through other things that we want things so fast. And yeah. there's a journey there. They don't realize there's years, there's schooling, there's, I mean, you've worked with clients all over the world, you know, up leading up to starting your own company. and so. There's a lot of time and, and investment you've put into this so that when that opportunity comes, you're prepared for it. Right. And it is an immediate gratification community that we live in. Now we want everything right away. We want it now. So when I work with my clients, just educating them about an aesthetic or why it might be functional or how it might be. I mean, it takes two years to build a house now. So what might be current now is going to change then. So I try to be more forward thinking based on the experience and education that I have to bring that to the table for them, you know, talking about things that I've seen that have been issues for my clients, things that they've enjoyed, and bring that to the table for them so that they can make an educated decision. I'm not trying to decide anything for my clients. I have a direction in mind that I think will yield a good result, but I want to educate them on why I'm going that way so they don't feel like they got posed and <laughs> just went, yeah. with a, went with a decision because they felt that that was the only option that they had. I want them to know that they were involved and they got an education to make the right decisions moving forward aesthetically and functional, functionally. I love that perspective because when you think about ego, right? I mean, that's it's not really a word that we're trying to portray here, but the, the fact of the matter is that there are like directions, right? Yeah. That they may want to go or you want to go. And it's not really, okay, who's right, who's wrong. As you mentioned, it's, here's my thought process. Here's my end goal and the education side, which mm -hmm. is a key component. But setting those expectations and creating that education, well, now there might be some similarities which draw you together. And that's probably, I would imagine, how you've been able to deal with so many different clients and personalities. Right. 
I definitely pick up on things too, even things that they don't even realize that they're saying. When I'm with a couple and they're designing their home and they're showing me images that they like and they talk about how they live, I'm picking up on absolutely everything. And so I bring that to the table later on when we're really in deep in design discussions, talking about how they're going to use their space or how they're going to live in their space. I do feel that designers kind of get a bad rap that we're kind of divas and it's my way or the highway. I have right. a vision. Just go with me. It's And I, I definitely have a vision, but I don't want that to derail the project because I'm so headstrong in the things I want for the client. I want to show them. I want to sh show them what I'm thinking and why I'm making those decisions. But I really check my ego out the door. I want to my client to be involved. I want them to feel like it's their home and not my home. Um, one of my biggest compliments I ever had was one of my clients was showing their daughter their brand new house for the first time. And their daughter was walking through the house with them and said, the house is all brand new and it's all custom designed, but it still feels like you. And I that just made me so, so happy because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm not wanting my clients to live in a museum of things that I've created. I want them to feel like it's their home. So that's why I feel like it's super important for myself and other designers to, to kind of check the ego and make sure that their client is first and foremost, but to help them push the boundaries. You know, you can see a timid client and you understand if they're like, well, I don't know, I've never done that color or I've never done that, that sheen before. I'm a little nervous and showing them why that might work and easing their comforts even or easing their fears and providing them comfort moving forward. And it really does yield a good result. I love that. I mean, what a huge compliment that you've like done something that's new, mm -hmm. vibrant, and then it still fits them, right? Yeah. Their personality. So let's talk about the fun word VE, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so you mentioned this, that, you know, there's value in, in your process now with the team and, mm -hmm. and you have this dialed in. And, but as you mentioned that now it's taken two years to build a house or even longer in some right. cases. And the tough thing for you is you're involved very beginning, right? You're involved early on. And so you're making selections and products could end up maybe not being available mm -hmm. or over budget. And it's not any fault to you because you're very knowledgeable and set in those. And I know that from working with you, but there's a lot of things outside your control. And so how do you manage that process? Because this has been a strain on my company right. too, is that right. the bidding and repricing and reselecting. And I'd imagine that there, that that's created some challenge and, you know, for you as well. Because I think it's our, like you and I, our initial meeting or any builder, any designer meeting, that initial meeting that covers all the budget numbers that you've, um, that you've allowed for this job is super important because that allows me to know what overall square footage um, price point I need to be out for flooring, what you've allowed for, what you've allowed for plumbing, what you've allowed for appliances, just to, so I know if I'm picking color or if I'm picking waterworks, you right. know, so I just kind of know what ballpark I'm playing in. So I know what to show the clients from the jump. So that way they don't feel that we've aimed for the stars and we're kind of, we're a lot further down towards the ground about where we're going to be as far as price point and materials. So because emotionally, sometimes you may show them something, client gets emotionally attached right. Right. and all of a sudden the sticker shock and then that, now, now it's harder kind of exactly put that toothpaste back in. So I try to show them things that are going to be in their price point. And then obviously by the time we're showing that versus the time that you're actually bidding it, prices are going up. They're going up quarterly right now for products. So prices are for sure going to be going up from the point I show them to the point that you price them. So if we need to value, en any, value engineer anything out, we can certainly do that at the time, but it's not anything that we're stranger to, especially right. in this market, especially with things becoming obsolete now they're just not even making the product anymore so there's a lot of 
shifting gears pretty frequently right now, but it's just almost our new normal. <laughs> just to roll with the punches right now so it is so what what do you feel is the most challenging thing you're dealing with right now just in context of our our current climate uh supply chain issues you know we're seeing a lot of issues with um with appliances and now even a plumbing um air conditioning units garage doors furniture has been an ongoing issue for almost two years now so it's um it's created an issue but it's also just helped us reassign how we schedule everything We've reassigned how we actually plan uh, material specifications, hitting appliances and doors and windows really, really early on. So that way we can place orders where appliances used to kind of fall about midway through the project. Now they're they're first and foremost. So we can make sure we have the right locations. We're getting the right specifications and getting those orders placed earlier on. So that way our appliances are waiting in a warehouse for us, ready to install. And we don't have holes where appliances should be when your yeah. when your home is done. Yeah. So or they put an easy bake oven in. Exactly. <laughs> yep. We've we have plenty of uh Home Depot dishwashers in our homes right now yeah. because I don't have the real deal sitting there. But um but thankfully I have really great clients that they're okay with just knowing that this is just the world that we live in right now. And if we need to deal with a wait time or if we need to um Make yeah, a couple adjustments, or, yeah, yeah when, then we can, so. So the furniture thing is interesting to me because that, I, the more I've been exposed to that, the more difficult it is, right? Yeah. If, for a lot of reasons, you're working with many different vendors yeah. and each of the vendors have many companies they're working with. And it's a lot more complicated than picking a different appliance or picking a different tile because some of the stuff you're doing is custom made, mm -hmm. you know, there's handcrafted and sewn oh. and other things. But what makes it tough for you is the lead times have gone from, I would imagine, maybe 12 weeks to two 22. years. Yeah. 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 Like, yep. and, and so how, how are you managing this where it's one thing where if you're specifying an appliance or a piece of tile, I can order that. I can mm -hmm. store it. My subcontractor can, my supplier. So we have different teamwork, the way we work around to store this stuff. But in furniture, you're on your own. You're on an island, essentially. Right. So when you have things you're ordering early and some things may come down later, I mean, how are you managing just navigating that? In general terms, I like to tell my clients um, before COVID and everything everything went awry, um, six months was usually a good point, starting point to start ordering our furniture before your home completes. And now I'm telling clients between 10 months and a year out to start doing furniture orders. Um, some things come in sooner, some things come in later, but what we're seeing now is that things that are coming in are coming in damaged. Yes. So which is happening broken, a lot. it's wrong. Um, wrong colors are coming in. So we're having to resubmit orders, file claims. It's a lot of work on the back end that we're doing now that we've never had we've never seen before. And so that is creating kind of a little hitch in the whole program because we have to we have to submit claims to get things reordered, resubmitted, resent to us and hopefully it arrives in good condition the next time around. So we are having to order things uh, earlier, which does actually accrue more warehousing costs right. for clients here locally, which is something I explained earlier on. I've kind of experimented with different facilities around town, and I think that I've kind of whittled down to some ones that are going to work better for us as far as price points, as far as, far as communication, the way they work. But it's kind of a fine line that we're walking, but at the same at the same time, I'd rather have higher warehousing costs to have your things here waiting for you rather than not having your bed here when your home is ready to move in or your sofa when your home is ready to go and move into. So it's kind of a fine line, too, if we can hold off on orders so that we can 
um, delay shipping just a little bit so that we're not having to accrue so many costs. That That is an option, but honestly, it's just better to order sooner rather than later because there's so many unforeseen things that happen in our industry all the time now. So it's just better to eliminate that variable. Well, I understand the communication side. You're trying to set a proper expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the point you brought up that is really important is that, yes, it's, it's one thing to order in advance. But it's another thing for the product to show up correct and undamaged, which right. is a big problem. And, and, you know, and what's really tough with not just furniture manufacturers, but I deal with it too, it's that they want you to receive everything and check it immediately, right? Yeah. And sometimes mm-hmm. you could be on another job, you could be somewhere else, and it's that part's really difficult. And so to have a customer on board that, hey, yeah, we have our furniture package and there's going to be some cost warehousing, right. but to set that expectation and lay that out so they understand there's costs, but there's value in ordering that early and just having that in-house. Exactly. And warehousing does matter. There are warehouses that you can just ship your product to, but they don't inspect, they don't receive, they don't document by photos or any logs. And they're a fraction of the cost, but you... Get what you pay for. Yeah, that's exactly right. Half of your furniture may show up damaged and then you're having to file claims then and then furniture, furniture manufacturers won't accept returns or claims by that time because it's six months have gone by. So see, and that's what most people that aren't as experienced as you Holly, aren't thinking about, right? That in the commercial world, if you're buying a lot of this furniture, well, first off, they won't ship to residential address, Mm -hmm. just commercial. And there's a lot of reasons. Like some people think that, uh, it, for whatever reason, I've heard so many different scenarios why they think they do that. But the reality is sometimes these trucks can't get in residential streets, neighborhoods, they can't fit down Mm -hmm. there or loading docks, loading zones, right? There's there's a lot of things where a commercial facility has access, wide streets, right? Right. Because it's just different. And and for that reason, if you have something that's really documenting the stuff and tagging it and marking it, it I, I would imagine that, yeah, there's a cost to it, but it takes a lot of stress off your shoulders. Absolutely. I mean, there's issues where we have credenzas that weigh 700 pounds. You know, we, we need a forklift to actually get it off the truck. There are reasons to do this. Yeah. And they come on come in on freight carriers. Yeah. <laughs> they, can't make a, they can't make a turn in a driveway. They can't make a hillside lot delivery. So yeah. there's a lot of reasons to do it. But at the same time, a client may not understand to document the boxes that things are coming in. If by chance there's um, a broken leg on a dining room chair, they're going to ask for photos of the boxes that they actually came in to see if it was a freight damage or if it was shipped that way. There's They document everything and they're way more precise about it now because they get so many more claims. They're, there's little to no leeway on it at all. Yeah, there really isn't much leeway. Even if you wait like one day, you're probably oh, yeah. leeway. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're done. You own you're those done. chairs. <laughs> yeah, you own the chairs. Yep. So what, you know, there's there's so much you're balancing right now. So what made you make the jump? What made you say, okay, I'm ready to, to go on my own? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't immediate because I was in the industry for 14 years prior to going out on my own. And I had toyed with the idea. I'd actually gone to school for business management before I switched into interior design. So what made you switch, I guess, before we get to that? Um, oh, gosh. I was bored to tears. Like In business. Oh, my gosh. Macroeconomics, microeconomics, yeah. finite math, calculus. Statistics, I was dying. all of it, yeah. Dying. Yeah, statistics. <laughs> I slept through that class. It was horrible. Horrible. It's but, funny because just to sidetrack here, like, I love math. Like, yeah. that's my favorite yeah. subject. And I hated statistics. So. Horrible. Just like... I went all the way through. I passed through everything, but it was pure misery. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't for me. And I remember needing a break. And I took interior design as an elective. And it just, everything just clicked. It just, I felt just invigorated again. I felt like it was just like new life and things just opened up. It's like the veil just lifted yeah. and um, it just opened my eyes. And I just, I switched industries immediately. So I went to the counselor at my college and kind of talked about if this is the right fit for me and without me even knowing about it just the way I was even in my youth how I used to handle 
things in my in my bedroom and how I used to always reorganize my bedroom and furniture and want to switch things out all the time. And I used to do a, <laughs> I used to take the shoe laces out of my shoes and lay them out on the ground and create floor plans for my dollhouses. <laughs> and it's like that was that was just fun for me. That was part of who I was when I was young. And I didn't realize that I could have made a career out of it at that time. And it wasn't until much later that I was able to see that I can actually do something with this and feel happy and proud to do what I'm doing every single day. So switched my industry and started interning at um, at a local firm. And they took me on as an intern. I was super excited. I started getting on jobs right away. And it was it was an immersive experience because I learned so much about every single aspect of interior design, about how to do furniture, how to do floor plans, how to um, work with architects, how to work with builders, and all the personalities that clients <laughs> can offer. And I learned so much. And um, I toyed with going off on my own, but I just felt like there was so much to know about the business. And I only felt like I knew a fraction of it. So even after 14 years, even after 14 years, because it's ongoing education yeah. all the time. There's just so much to learn about so much. So um, my husband and I had actually gone on vacation. We went to Hawaii for two weeks, which was the longest trip I'd ever taken. And we got to relax and had a lot of downtime and um, just cleared our heads a lot. And our very last day, we talked about our experience on the trip and what we uh, could foresee our future looking like from that point on. And we were watching the sunset and it just, it came over me like a wave. And I just felt all of my fear about starting my own company. It just all completely melted away. And um, that week I came back, I put in my notice and I never just looked right back. Away. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's literally, it's like a snap of my fingers and my fear just left. And I don't know what caused it. Um, because I did have a fear, you know, like, what if I fail? What if I can't get work? Because I was, I did go through the recession with you and yeah. it was brutal. Yeah. I, saw, I saw a lot of careers cr crumble and I didn't want that to ever happen to myself or maybe tentative employees or anything like that. But that fear drives you. It keeps you moving. It really does. <laughs> that fear does drive you. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. They're, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. For those of you that have listened to the podcast, you know how big of a fan we are at Build-A-Trend and that we have used this software for the last four years. 
And many of the guests we've brought on the podcast are also Build-A-Trend users. And in this day and age, with as busy as all of us are in construction, as complicated as it is with escalation pricing, lead times, tracking, organization, all of us need a good project management software to help simplify and organize our business. And there are a couple features that we love a ton about Build-A-Trend. And one is the owner portal, the other is the daily logs. And these are features that we use daily, right? Half of my clients are out of state. And as an owner, it is so imperative how we communicate with our clients, with our team, with our customers. And through Build-A-Trend, this allows us that quick connection. They can check at any time. We can communicate with them. We're up to date. This has actually helped us win jobs, win projects because of that organization, especially at pre-construction. And Build-A-Trend also offers a ton of service on the back end, training and understanding and workshops, you know, to help us use our software effectively. They also have the podcast, The Building Code. To learn more, head to buildertrend.com backslash AFT to get a 60-day money-back guarantee on your Buildertrend account. That's 60 days to make sure you love this product with no pressure, and I know you will. And so what was the uh, the biggest trepidation as far as, you know, going off on your own? I mean, all of us have had that fear. We yeah. can relate, you know, but for you, was there a certain aspect of going off on your own that worried you the most? Um, I think just getting work and having the confidence to know that I can actually bring a, a project from start to finish on my own yourself. without a hitch. I had been doing it for years, but knowing that I didn't have someone behind me to back me, I felt nervous about doing that alone, but it was easier than I thought. <laughs> and I kind of hit the ground running with it. I'm kind of a sink or swim person. I, I like to be fully submerged and even if it's chaos and come out better on the other side. And that's kind of what happened. I got a lot of jobs right off the bat. So how was it? How did you go from, you know, that's the biggest, uh, the biggest challenge, right? As I speak to people that want to be an entrepreneur, start their own company, you know, cash flow, you know, yeah. the, the startup costs are on a business. Unfortunately, you know, you're going to be like a, a entrepreneur sole proprietor yourself when you start. I mean, that's grown now as mm -hmm. we could talk about, but, you know, but still there's costs involved in that. There's, you know, a pipeline you have to create. And so, yeah. you know, how did those leads start to, to come into play? Um, a lot of builder relationships that I had, I think at the time, I feel like there's been so many designers that just emerged over the past few years. And five years ago, I don't feel like there was that many options or there were just people looking to make a switch. You know, they might have been burned out by a company before or um, just needing a new relationship, needing fresh eyes on a project or anything like that. So I felt that that was kind of my in to get in with certain builders or with certain clients. Um, so I really relied on a lot of the trade relationships I had made over my 14 years in the industry. When I had been working, I wanted to be on everything, on every project, with every builder, with every architect. I wanted to establish relationships with everyone. And it actually did me a favor because when I left, I had all those relationships and those kind of fueled me into getting more more work and to start establishing relationship with, relationships with clients and um gave me a good leg to start on. I love that because there, there's so much truth there. I mean, when as you think about it, it it's, it's really difficult as you're starting a company for you to maybe pound the pavement, right? Mm -hmm. And just find clients who knows right. where to come from. But because you have spent so much time cultivating relationships with other builders, with other architects, and now you're on your own and they're like, hey, we know the talent. You know, Holly, she has a skill set, this personality is a great fit. Let's move you on over. Right. And a lot of times I'm asked, well, how do you begin those relationships? Like, for you, I know that you worked at a company, but how, what was important? You know, what made that builder good? What made that relationship good with you and the builder 
to that experience or you and the architect leading up to that point? I mean, even just getting to know them and how they work and how clients even respond to them. When our, when those clients were at ease with a builder or an architect, those are the those are the people I wanted to work with because they provided um, a trust factor with their clients. They provided ease and knowledge with their clients. So the clients didn't ever feel that they didn't know what was happening. There was open communication. And those are the builders and architects that I wanted to work with the most. Um, and people that are like-minded like myself, that are not ego-driven, that are really wanting to make a good end result. So if you have the idea, or if the drywaller has the idea, if it's the flooring installer that has the idea, like we welcome all ideas to the table to make sure that the house turns out the correct way, as opposed to, you know, this is my my house, my way. Um, I wanted to work with those people. And I worked with a lot of great builders and architects to start off with. But to be honest, when I started on my own, I drove around Paradise Valley and Scottsdale and just started looking at signage, looking to see who had what and what area, um, people I didn't know. And I just started making phone calls and establishing relationships saying, you know, we haven't, I'm not familiar with your company yet. I'd love to meet with you. And just kind of pounded the pavement that way and started learning more about their companies, the caliber of jobs that they take, the style of jobs that they take, how they manage a job. And that kind of helped me discern who I wanted to work with from that point. So it gave me a broader field of people to choose from and work with. I, you know, I love that uh, determination, right? The tenacity you have, right, Holly? I mean, when I, when I put in perspective of a builder, as a builder, typically, yes, very similar. You know, I work for a bigger company. I, I, I knew you back then. In fact, you designed our office, yeah. which just so <laughs> anyone that's been in my office at AT, Holly designed it. Yeah. So she, <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah. And, and here, here's kudos to you. Is it still current, right? People yeah. come in, they're like, this is amazing. This was what? This was 12 years ago. Yeah. Oh you my gosh, this. that's wild. It's been that long. So it's been 12 years wow. since you designed Stylist. our office. I know. And people come in, they're like, this is amazing. And all the walls, like there's this amazing wallpaper that is still mm-hmm. current. And people yeah. are like, oh, this wallpaper is amazing. So anyways, great job there. Good. Because um, people love our office. But, you know, going back to that, when you start off, you know, for us, there, there's a couple ways to do as a builder, right? You can go out and you could find some investors and build a spec home. You can get your sign up. People start seeing your sign. Mm-hmm. You have content. You could use that for social media, right? And another thing is that you built those relationships as a builder, there's a lot of designers and architects that they may have worked with some large scale builders, but they get leads too of like a remodel or, you know, an addition or whatever it may be. And then if you've built those relationships, you can hand off and you start building your business, right? And I would assume that's similar to you. It's like you go off on your own and it's not like, okay, Holly, day one, I'm designing this 18,000 square foot right. hillside in Silverleaf. Yeah. But there's sometimes it's not that you can't do that because mm-hmm. you've done that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're willing to say, I'll take this job, I'll take this job, yeah. and then put that together. And then that starts to catapult, and you start to build that network, and you start to meet other builders and you know other architects. And then before you know it, you're where you're at now. Yeah. And I mean, I, I took anything, like a kitchen remodel, like anything to get my bearings and to start off with, to build relationships with clients. But I really do enjoy every aspect of the job. I like a remodel. I like just a furniture job. I like the the whole ground up experience too. So I wanted to take on a little bit of everything, but now I'm able to be more selective about the things that we're taking and um, making sure it's the right fit for us, timeline, aesthetics, personality, personality wise. But yeah, there's a lot of um, growth that I think we've gotten over the past five years. So is there a difference for you when you're getting involved? Uh, Cause you've done commercial, you've done residential, mm-hmm. you know, you've done remodel, you've done new, new construction, hospitality, yeah, mm-hmm. restaurant, everything. What's the difference between all of them for you as a designer? Is there one that's more challenging than another? 
I like I like commercial and residential both for different reasons. Um, I feel like with commercial, you have a little bit more flexibility to kind of the sky's the limit. You can be a little bit more bold. You can be more daring because there's not emotional investment in the project. It's not where you're going to raise your kids. It's not how you're going to use your space every day. It's an experience that you're offering people and people t- and like the owner will tend to be less emotionally invested. It's more about timeline finances, you know, hitting budget numbers, budget, yep. making it a wow, and then that's a done deal. So things tend to go a little bit quicker that way. With homes, it's so amazing to see a homeowner walk through their home after a completion for the first time. It's like no other. It's so much joy that it brings me. And I don't want to ever omit that because you don't really get that same warm and fuzzy feeling with a commercial job because at that point, it's just business. Yeah. You know, it's we just, just got to get open. Yeah. Like, let's hurry up and open, open, open the doors. But with a home, like seeing and building those relationships with the client, learning about their family, celebrating their wedding anniversary, you know, hearing about all these milestones in their life and building their homes together. It's it's a really beautiful experience. And to create something that they didn't even know was possible and just to kind of open doors and push boundaries with them, like that's a really really cool experience and every homeowner is so different so it allows for me to explore different um kind of areas of creativity for me and it really ex- expose the client to things that they didn't know were possible does it change your design fee without specifying what that is does it change your design fee depending on the scope of work and mm-hmm. timeline that's attributed to it yep so if it's a faster paced timeline that um will generally be a higher cost but even if it's a more complicated home um Versus more minimalist, you know, if it's just a mostly glass and drywall home, it tends to have a little bit less detail on my end. More homes that are maybe trying to get a feeling like a Four Seasons or Ritz-Carlton where every wall has a finish, everything has a detail. It requires a lot more detail. A lot of millwork. A lot of millwork, mm-hmm. um, a lot more flooring plans, lighting plans. It's It requires a lot of elevation details and profiles, and that will essentially require a lot more time and work, so that'll come at a higher dollar cost as well. So how are you tracking that? I mean, from a, I, I would imagine... You know, you may not have like a formal database, but at least you have a pulse out there to understand when you're looking at a project, if it has 13 bathrooms that are super ornate, right? Right. You know how long it takes to do a bathroom, right? right? And all the elements go into it. And, you know, I always tell clients from my side, you know, when they talk about, well, Brad, you know, a budget thing, you know, as we're looking at a house and I tell them, well, the low hanging fruits of bathroom, that's your most expensive square Mm -hmm. foot, right? Because Mm -hmm. you have cabinetry and countertops and tile and waterproofing and all these things, glass, everything. Mm -hmm. All in one little space, whereas a loft, you know, or like a playroom, just carpet or wood flooring flooring. or whatever. Yeah, Yeah. so much. And so as we look at this, you know, maybe do a Jack and Jill or, you know, there's certain things I'll consult them that like, here's where the expense is with the base. If you're doing a basement and here's where you can save. And for you, you know, it's it's a little bit different because it's not so much, uh, I mean, you're involved in the budget as we mentioned, but but from your time, there's a big commitment if you're doing a lot of meal work in that. So how, how are you tracking? Are you trying to get a feel for the client? Because at some points, I'd imagine it coming and say, okay, Holly, what's your square foot price? Yeah. Or what's your yeah. hourly price? And you may not know all the specifics of it at this point. Right. Because I know that if that's why it, that also kind of ties into my questionnaire and how I interview my clients too. Um, I have kind of a two-step process with how I interview clients. And the first couple of questions I ask is, who's your builder? Who's your architect? What's your design aesthetic? Um, have you considered budgets? Just to know, generally speaking, where they're feel. at. Have they worked with a designer before? Have they had multiple homes? Is is this their first home? Have they had eight designers before and can them all? <laughs> right. Red flag. <laughs> um, just to know essentially how they 
how they work, but that also helps me to understand the caliber of the home. If it sounds like it's the right fit for me at that point, I go on to my second point of my questionnaire where we start reviewing um, floor plans, reviewing any um, renderings or elevations that have been produced already, or even just conceptual ideas to know if they're looking at all glass houses, are they looking with, to details that have a lot of ceiling details or lighting elements, you know, just to help me understand how extreme this house is going to go. That helps me gauge my price a lot. So I usually gave my clients a range of a price per square foot that I'll be at and then letting them know approximately based on that information where they're going to be at. But obviously we'll kind of button up those numbers when we know further from the architect. Yeah, it's really smart because you don't want to mislead them as far as what the cost will be, if, right. especially as the project gets more complex, right? right? I have to go back. You know, and, and I've seen that a lot that with architects and designers from the professional consultant side here in town, that a lot of it's square foot. It does vary by market. Some are hourly, some yeah. are square foot. Mm -hmm. Is there a strategy why it's more advantageous to do a square foot as opposed to hourly? I think a per square foot allows myself and the client to budget accordingly. If they don't know what my end number is going to be, they don't know if it's going to cost them 5000 or 50000 to work with me. So it just helps them to plan budget accordingly. That way they can budget for furniture. They know how to budget for lighting. And they can get an all-in dollar amount based on what you've provided, the architect and myself, and know approximately a good number of where they're going to be at. I can actually help them um, budget for their furniture based off of their square footage, based off of their aesthetic, and kind of give them a roundabout number for furniture too. Well, it's good because, I mean, if I interrupt here, mm -hmm. is that as you look at this, that I, I've had two experiences working with a designer who I will name different designers that did yeah. hourly. And the feedback from the client is really tough. And, and I feel for the designer actually is I, I know enough from working with you and other designers that how much work goes into design at home. Yeah. And there's a lot, right? There's, it, you know, when you go to pick a paint color, for example, it's not as easy as saying, here's the paint color because there's 60 shades of white. Right, so right, it's right. Like, and how does that look with the furniture and this? I mm -hmm. mean, so it's not like I'm just going to you know, a big box store and I'm just picking the chip and here we go. Right. There's a lot. To, and, but whereas hourly, you know, they're spelling out why well, I was, you know, spent an hour and a half for pain. And then the client's like, live it. I can't believe why am I spent an hour and a half for right. pain, right? And then the other experience was, well, you know, when I call my designer, you know, it's, I feel like it's when I'm calling my attorney or my lawyer. That I've like, heard that before too. Yeah, it's like, I yeah. don't know what it's going to be. And then if they even think about it for a couple hours, am I going to get billed? And so there's this anxiety. Whereas you know, set price, you would have to protect yourself, I'm sure, with expectations right. to, that they're not changing the house 18 times. But at least it creates a common working ground where you're still transparent, but you don't have to disclose every little element of it because there is a lot to your job. And I feel like with hourly, it gives a client a point to argue it. You know, if you have a flat right. fee, you've already agreed to terms. You know, if you have to justify why it took you an hour and a half to do a, to revise a kitchen layout or anything like that. It's just, they don't understand the amount of work that goes in behind the scenes. And it, I don't want to have to have that discussion to have to justify why we're charging things the way that we are. But to be honest, we're working with a client for two years in some cases, if they're getting billed every single month yeah. for two years, you know, even with going back to where the warehousing fees come in for furniture, I can't tell you how many times I get the call or get the email Hey, are we done with warehousing fees soon? Yeah. And that's only after six months. Yeah. They're over it. Yeah. So they're I don't, done. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to do that with my fees where they almost feel annoyed to pay it because they've been paying it for so many years. It's like making a car payment. It's like you just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> Especially when it's unknown. You don't know when it's exactly. gonna stop and it's and it fluctuates. So exactly. Much. So that's also why I I have my rates at a fair, fair fee for me. So in the event that there's a change, and I do do um amendments to my contracts too, in the event that 
the scope of work has changed. Um, if the client just suddenly changes their mind and they just choose to relay out the whole house and it requires all elevation changes, those are billable hours. And that kind of that kind of um, that kind of detail I do hourly just because it's minor, but a whole house it helps everybody budget and it just kind of builds a trust between the two of us. Two of us, the fact that I'm not going to take advantage and I'm not overly billing or anything like that either. So, as far as you know, the ideal client, you mentioned this a little bit, you have your questionnaires that kind of help decipher, right? Just who you're working with, essentially. Mm-hmm. Are there, you know, is there opposition from your side when you ask, hey, have you worked with the designer before? If they said no, I know we get the experience of ours that yeah. they haven't, and it was like phenomenal. I mean, yeah. are there certain boxes, windows that you're trying to understand where the leads are coming in and try to keep them there overall? Yeah, when I interview my clients and I ask them if they've worked with another designer before, it's more so not just so I can like weed them out, but it's just to know if they've had a good experience, if they've had a bad experience. But it also helps me to understand how that client works. Or uh, she wouldn't answer my phone calls at nine o'clock at night, or um, <laughs> she wouldn't return a she wouldn't return a drawing to me on a Saturday. I know yeah. that they're all day, all night, by all means, and that's not my client. <laughs> yeah. So, but it, and it just helps me to understand their personalities. Some clients they're okay with knowing that we have normal working hours, like everyone else does, and you know we have to have family time, we have weekends, we have downtime. Um, but it just helps me to understand their personalities, and if it's going to be a lot of work, it's going to be a good fit. If it's going to um, I just, I don't want them to, I don't want to mislead a client and make them think that I can operate at the way that they're used to operating if that's not how our business operates. So doing those, that interview process and knowing how they've worked with designers before and how they foresee our relationship moving forward is something that's really important. In some cases, I can just educate them and let them know this is how we generally work. Is that something that'll work for you? Or is that something, is that how you foresee this going forward? Some cases it's not. So that's a good point to, you know, this is, this won't work and we can start to navigate. And that's where I forward them um, another another designer's name. That has happened before where I had, I knew of a friend of mine that would have been a better fit for a client given her personality. And it totally worked for both for both cases. Yeah, it's so mature though to be able to identify that and be able to step away and say no, right? Mm-hmm. And the example you gave where, yeah, I'm calling, you know, my designer at nine o'clock at night or yeah. send an email Saturday and I can yeah. respond. <laughs> It reminds me, I sat in a seminar once and there's a, a gentleman who's speaking about estimate as a contractor seminar. And he said, you know, for him, and, and he's retired now, but he was saying when he would show up to a house, he'd pick up the doormat and look at a doormat. And if it was like perfectly clean, you know, he's like, there's 10 grand. And then he'd go into the house and he'd sit down next to him. And if they brought him a drink and they brought a couple, like a, a coaster, yeah. oh, there's 10 grand, you know, like just funny Hysterical. things, like just little things yeah. to pick up. Okay. How how vigilant are they going to be in the process? And the example he gave, he said, look, because I, before being experienced, you know, I I did a house for someone and we're doing drywall, which you understand they're hanging drywall, they're making cuts. And the client was coming through counting every piece of drywall, like the waste, like, do I get a credit for this and this? And he realized, Hey, not only is this um, a difficult client I'm navigating, but, Mm -hmm. but it's also an education that I could do a little bit better of understanding, you know, who the clientele and how to set these expectations because with drywall, with tile, there's waste, and I need to communicate that. And because some people get it, some don't, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very similar to you is that we really have to understand because it, it's a very emotional process for our clients. Right. And it's a lot of money they're investing in this. And there's, and, and you alluded to this on the residential side. And so we do have to be cautious to make sure, hey, I've made plenty of mistakes, so I'm not going to make that again. So I'm going to make sure I set the tone next time. Right. And I think that's just kind of trial and error. The reason why I have that interview process to start with, I didn't have that 
when I started yeah. on my own. You're just like, yeah, I'll take the job. Let's go. Yeah. But then like two years in and I have a client that is driving you nuts yeah. like, on the email and I'm like, I should have interviewed <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> but those that's why I had those interviews. But it helps both of us, you know, because I want I remember in school, one of my teachers said, we interview our clients the same way they, inter they interview us. We are going to be in a working relationship, contracted for multiple years, making sure that we can actually work together. Is it's It needs to be good on both ends, not just one. So it's very important to know that you can actually get along with your client and you guys respect each other in the way you work. It takes some time. You know, I had some bumps and bruises similar to you, and we had this amazing, like, trophy home, amazing house. I mean, mm -hmm. it was just spectacular, and it was one I really wanted. Yeah. And we were in design pre-construction as you know and and i'm sitting there and he's like yelling at his wife on the phone with me and the architect on i was like i'm out yeah and i ended up not doing the project which i'm glad it ended up not going great and so it's those little things that in the past you would have tried to make something work instead of saying no i've i've experienced this now i can identify it now right we're gonna we're gonna you know find a way out of this but there's even to to that point there is so much to be said about your gut instinct you know, and somebody has that does something that's morally not what you would do, like mm -hmm. yelling at your wife like that in front of other in people. Of people yeah. Exactly. That's that's not part of your character. So, you know, can kind of switch gears like this isn't a home for me. But there's been so many clients, <clears throat> even ones that I have taken before in the past. And my gut was a little off. And I was like, I don't know. I think that this may not be a right fit, but I really wanted to do that house. The architect's really cool. I really want to work with him. And I took it. And I shouldn't have, you yeah. know, and there's like, and there's just, there's so much to be said about just trusting your gut. And I feel like that's like 95% of it is knowing that if you get that, that immediate connection with a client right off the bat, or if it's kind of a challenge and you kind of have to start working through some things, um, which I've done that before too, but a lot, a lot to be said about trusting your instincts with a client when you're doing an interview process. I love that you brought that up because the the relationship the personal side is so much more important than just the money side yes. right and the reason being is that as you look at this yeah on on one side there may be this opportunity to work in this community or work in this architect or signature project get yeah. your name out there mm -hmm. but the emotional toll that it'll take isn't worth the investment right whereas on the flip side you may have a great client and they want to maybe you come in less expensive and you're willing to invest in the project maybe they're paying you I, I look at it for me. I mean, there was a project I want to do in Silverleaf, which you know. Yeah. And I hadn't yeah. built in there. I mean, I built in there in my last company, mm -hmm. but I'm on an AFT. And so I, I did at a very discounted fee to do it, but it was to get my name in there and the class yeah. great. And it yeah. was, you know, and that's one way. So you have to really understand what angle am I taking and is it beneficial? Because going back to your point of have they fired a designer, the worst project I've ever had, the client <laughs> said, Hey, Brad, you know, and they were kind of playing like the poor me. They're like, I fired my architect, I fired my designer, I fired my builder. And I'm just like, okay, I'll do it, you know? Yeah, and it was I'll horrible. take it. Yeah. It, was absolutely like, it was like the worst thing I ever did. And, you know, I look back now that, okay, I should have done a little bit more vetting to understand, well, why did you fire right. him? And then maybe even speak to the ones right. who fired to find, find out what it was. But. Because there are some instances where they are justified in making their decision. For One sure. of my recent interviews, um, her her client, they were hiding a lot of fees from her. And that that doesn't build good trust. So that's something like they, I'm an open book and I'm, mm -hmm. I know that you are too. Any bid that you get in, you show there it. You it's not a problem. Yeah. But that is the only way to work, in my opinion, is to be completely transparent with your clients. So in the event that a, a client says that, you know, well, I had this designer and she was horrible and this designer and she was horrible. And it's just there's there's an undertone yeah. <laughs> happening there and a red flag starting to go up. And I'm starting to understand that it may not be their five previous designers. Yeah. <laughs> Something else could be wrong. wrong. Yeah, right. something else could be wrong. But to your point, and we've had the same thing. We're even having had that experience. We have a house now that we're just coming up to completion. 
And they had fired the contractor. We took over for them. Yeah. And it's going to turn out amazing. And it's been a great experience. And and part of it is, as you mentioned, the contractor was not, you know, very upfront about the fees and costs and yes. stuff. And and so you have to understand really what what is the the pain point of the customer and then then make that educated decision. Right. Because clients are okay with paying fees. They just want to know about it. Yeah. If they feel if like- If they lay it out. Yeah. Exactly. If it, everything's transparent and they agree to it, you agree to it, then there's- there's no harm done. It's just easy. If they feel like, if or even if they find out that there was something that went on behind their backs, you lost their trust from there on out. And it's going to be a brutal end yeah. of that project. Well, you just can't, you can't build it back. I mean, no. once that's gone, it's just it's so no, hard. No, because I've, I've seen relationships like that before in the past, um, not for me personally, but from other experiences. And it just doesn't end well for anyone. And I just don't want that reputation. No, not at all. So social media wise, I know- in the beginning, like uh, you're starting your company, you're trying to build that now, like that's a big part of what you do. I mean, how involved mm-hmm. are you from the social media marketing side, you know, for your company? Still some growth there. It's, I mean, you're amazing. <laughs> like, I just, I feel like there's like 10 of you because I don't know how <laughs> you do so much, but that is something actually that's one of my goals this year is to kind of amp that up a little bit and actually get more FaceTime because I think that it's really important for people who don't know you they just see words behind a screen on an Instagram. They don't know if you're writing that or if it's a marketing person writing that. It's me personally that posts everything on my Instagram. I'm in charge of posting. I'm in charge of the way we write it, how it comes across to people. I make sure I tag everybody that's that's in all the all the images. But um, I want to start doing more FaceTime, you know, doing more walkthroughs, doing tutorials about why we're doing things the way we are and having people to get to know us as a team as opposed to just pictures and script on a screen. So that's that's my uh, new goal for this year. I love it. I mean, there's so much value. It's funny. I've talked about this a lot on the podcast because especially for you, some of the super personal, personable Holly, right, that you have this design aesthetic. And, and it's funny because I've seen your page kind of change too. Like mm-hmm. for as long as I know you that now it's like, you know, and you have these amazing designs and photography and then yeah that personality behind it like it just it it, it it's fun because like as you go to meet with someone they feel like they know you right yeah. and there's already a common ground and then as you mentioned now it's just down to the vetting and making sure does budget work does timeline work does my expectations yeah. work and it just makes that process because work. i think and being like interviewing designers i think is an intimidating process for a lot of people if they can see your personality i mean they see your personality on your stories and they see that you're likable you're knowledgeable you can you can talk very easily with them and they already feel at ease and they don't even know you yet so that is something that i would like to get to uh, people who i don't know who don't know me who don't know anything that i do that maybe have just moved to arizona that don't know any builders i'd love for them to get to know me like that versus having to hear my name or hoping that it might go we might have a good meeting together to get to know my personality to know that um, I don't have an arrogance to me and it's just, it's fun. It's lighthearted. This is supposed to be a cool project. Like look at all the cool things we get to see and do. And let me talk you through it. Like that's, I want to be able to explain to people before they even get to meet me. So it's easy. Like this is your first, first podcast and you like dialed in. So this is like a slam dunk for you to start doing all this content. This is amazing. <laughs> post, post, post. <laughs> yeah. Super easy. So what yeah. do you do for fun outside of design? Um, when I'm not working, I'm traveling. I love to travel. It actually kind of fuels me and gets me to kind of reset a little bit. Um, even pulling inspiration from everything that we get to see and do, whether it's restaurants we're going to, hikes that we're doing. But to be honest, sitting on a beach or quiet and on a hike, that that's where I really reset and rezone when I'm not being distracted. Because even I do meditation every day. 
But even that 20 minutes that I give myself every morning, it's still not enough. You still need that reprieve to reset, to reset your thinking, to reset your logic. And I think that's why when I came back from Hawaii in that trip, because I was allowed myself to be silent, allowed myself to be still and really connect with my feelings and my emotions. That's why it was so easy for me to make a decision. When I'm able to travel and do that, it helps me reset and make decisions and be effective for my clients and everybody moving forward. So it feels good. Well, you have to sharpen the saw. And the thing is, like, as you mentioned, is this travel brings you a lot of inspiration. Yeah. Right? You can see a lot of creativity and history and things are timeless that really connect. And as you know, for you, I mean, a lot of our business in, in construction and real estate and design, you know, and especially running your own social media, yeah. what you're doing. I mean, there's a lot of extrovert activities. And so you have to have any extrovert needs that introvert time. Yes. But they just have like. 100%. And, and I need that where I enjoy that where it's just like quiet. And, you know, we have a lot of kids and we have a lot of work. Yeah. So there are times <laughs> where I just like, I just need like some introvert time for a minute yeah. just to recharge that, you know. Well, it's one chaos to another. You're yeah. on a job site or you're with all your children. Yeah. <laughs> so it's job a lot. Job site at home. Job yeah. Site, yeah. yeah. All the jobs. Yeah. There's a lot. So what do you have that's up kind of exciting? Um, well, we are bringing on more employees. Wow. So How many are you at now? We're at five right now. We have wow. another one starting next week and a summer intern on board and then probably hiring another one coming up here pretty Amazing. soon. Amazing. So you're going to be at eight. Yeah. That's incredible. So we're, we're growing. We're moving our office in September. Wow. So that's going to be good. We actually outgrew my space a lot faster than I was anticipating. So we've got to grow, got to keep moving. But at one time I wanted to... I didn't think I was going to, I didn't want to be any bigger than like two or three people. Yeah. Like I can't handle anymore. Yeah. But and like once I like swallowed that, I'm like, give me, give me yeah. <laughs> all the, all the employees, all the space, give me everything. So it's like, I just had to swallow the fear of growth and now I am hungry. So I love it. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. So where can I just find you? Um, you can find me on uh, hollywrightdesign.com or my Instagram at hollywright underscore design underscore. Well, Holly, been amazing. And again, for all of you listening, go give her a follow. She does amazing work. All of you have been in my office. That was her design. So she's done incredible stuff. So thanks, Holly. Thanks for having me. This was fun. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.